How many of you know that the Bible is a book of prophecy? Is the Bible a book of prophecy? Now, what I mean by that is the Bible tells you that something's going to happen before it does. And do you know that no other religious book uh, in the world has dared to prophesy future events? And by the way, thank you to Pastor Sonny Kanatcher for standing in for me for two weeks. Didn't he do a great job? Great job. Thank you, Pastor Sonny. You know, me and Sonny go way back when we were single. I mean, so at least 20 years ago. I said at least. And when we had brown hair and uh, we were just starting out, low 20s and the things of God. So it's good to have friends that last a whole lifetime. Amen. And uh, he did a great job. And we were in Twin Falls, Idaho, shared the word of God in Twin Falls at a church that was um, taken aback a little bit by the way I preach. Now, I mean that in a good way. People came up to me afterwards and said, wow, uh, we don't give invitations here. And, but they give the word. Don't get me wrong. It's a great word, church. But they never seen somebody giving it, especially for souls in a church. But a bunch of people came down. And you know what? I was told many of them had been in, in that church for years, but they hadn't given their hearts to Christ. You know, the church is full of people who don't know Jesus. Now, I know that's not you. Everybody say, that's not me. Amen. But we missed you. It's good to be, uh, be back. Cindy is with her daughter um, in Florida. She's right now at her church service where her daughter leads worship. And um, her daughter just got engaged this weekend. So, yeah. So, guess what wedding I'm going to? Right. But I want you to think with me for a minute, because I'm here to talk to you about the Word of God. Let me just cause us to stop and think. God predicts the future. He tells you what the end of something is going to be before the beginning begins. Oh, that's no big deal. Try it. Try predicting what's happening 10 minutes from now. You can't do it because you don't, because, because God doesn't dwell in time. You and I do. We're in time, but God doesn't dwell in time. He dwells in eternity. So he sees the end of a thing before the beginning starts. He knows exactly when you're going to be born, when you're going to go home to him. He knows where you're going to be all in between. He never says, oops, and he never says, well, I'll be. Right? Because God knows the end from the beginning. And the Bible's a Bible of prophecy. It predicts future events. Now, I want to give you today a prophetic forecast for America and the world. And I'm going to give it to you out of the Word of God. Say, so how can you do that, Jeff? Because I'm going to the Word of God that came from the God of the Word. All right? So the Word of God predicts future events. Now, I want to just look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. In the first three verses, this is Jesus being approached by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were sad, you see. <laughs> Terrible joke. But why were they sad? Because they didn't even believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in a future resurrection, so they were sad, you see. Sadducees. Okay. Let's read. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Show us a sign, Lord, and we'll believe in you. That was the gist. Jesus replied, when evening comes, you say it'll be fair weather because the sky is red. 
And then verse three, and in the morning, you say today it's going to be stormy for the sky is red and it's overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Wow. Lord, thank you for this word today. Thank you for a word from your word. Help us, Lord, to be those who can understand the times and are not taken aback and not shocked and, and not thrown off base by what is happening around us. But we will be those who understand the times because we understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen. You're going to need this before you get home. Amen. Now, typically, Jesus was approached by people that were always trying to trap him. They are always trying to trap him into saying something that they could arrest him for, condemn him for, and even kill him for. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious teachers and uh, the scribes were always approaching Jesus with gotcha questions. That's what they were all about. But Jesus could never be gotten with a gotcha question because Jesus was God in flesh. And he always ended up shutting them up and making them walk away dumbfounded at how wise he was and how he was able to answer every question, sometimes with a question that shut them up. But you couldn't catch or trap Jesus. It was impossible because he was beyond genius. He created genius. Amen? Now, Jesus replied by rebuking them. Because the whole gist was, Jesus, give us a sign and we'll believe in you. But Jesus' reply to them was, what do you mean give you a sign? You're surrounded by signs. You're surrounded by signs because I'm here. And I am fulfilling all kinds of Old Testament prophecies right down to the T. And so you ought not be needing a sign. You ought to be in awe of the signs already in front of you. You say, well, Jeff, how, how was Jesus fulfilling signs? Oh, he was fulfilling so many. He was born of a virgin as prophesied in Isaiah 7, verse 14. And they knew it. They knew it. The family talked about it. Jesus' brothers, his siblings knew about it. Mary told about it. I was a virgin and I conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit supernaturally against all scientific law. I conceived. He was born in the town of Bethlehem, fulfillment of prophecy. Micah 5, 2, though you are little among the clans of Judah, Bethlehem, out of you shall he, capital H, come forth. So, a supernatural personality was to invade history via Bethlehem, according to Micah 5, 2. And it was fulfilled. There's a sign. They should have seen that. John the Baptist had already come in the power and spirit of Elijah to prepare the way before Jesus as prophesied in Malachi 4, verse 5, centuries before John the Baptist was born. The eyes of the blind were being opened. The ears of the deaf were being unstopped. The crippled and the lame were leaping and running and laughing and shouting. And the tongue of the speech impaired was singing as prophesied in Isaiah 35 verses 5 to 6. And that's just a smattering 
just a little bit of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So Jesus' attitude towards the Pharisees and Sadducees was, what are you talking about a sign? You're surrounded by signs and you still don't believe. Now I want to focus today on verse 3. Because remember, Jesus' rebuke to them was this. You should be reading the signs of the times. What, what, what is happening around you ought to be no mystery. You ought to be seeing it. You ought to be aware of it. You ought to be recognizing the signs of the Messiah happening before your very eyes. But you're not reading. You're great weathermen in the natural, but you're terrible prophetic weathermen. You ought to understand the prophecies. You ought to understand what God is doing. You ought to understand what time it is in your nation and in your world. You ought to understand what God is up to. So I want to focus today on verse 3. When Jesus said this, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. But you cannot interpret the signs of the times. They didn't know if it was calm or stormy. Sunshiny or overcast, hot or cold, winter or summer, prophetically speaking. What time was it? There's an old song, I'll date myself here, but I think it was, well, it doesn't matter the group, but the title of the song was, Do Anybody Really Know What Time It Is? Some of you are going, oh yeah, now the song's in your head. Get that song out of your head. No. Does anybody really know what time it is? Now, even though it was a secular rock song, it was a great question. Because how many people really know what time it is prophetically? What is the weather forecast for our day and our hour in America and in the world? What is it? Now, holding that thought for just a moment, in the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, the time has come for King David, who has been king only over Hebron and not over the entire land of Israel, it's time for him to be installed as king over all of Israel. The time has arrived. And as First Chronicles 12, um, inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit, as it unfolds, you read that all the tribes of Israel came together to, to help bring David into all of Israel as king over the whole thing. It's time. This was a major moment in Israeli history. Uh, uh, Saul had been cast aside and David had been anointed to be the king, but he's only been king over Hebron and not over the whole nation. But now the time has arrived. It was major timing for, for the man after God's own heart to be installed over the whole nation. So all the tribes of Israel have come together. And as they come together, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, points out that there were thousands of men from each of the tri 12 tribes of Israel. And the Holy Spirit goes on to point out that they were mighty men. Now, it's very important we notice this. The Holy Spirit lets us know that these were mighty men. They were soldiers. They were men of valor. They were men of renown. They, they were winners on the military field. You did not want to encounter these men in battle. And so it goes down the list of all the tribes. But then when it comes to one tribe, the narrative changes. And this is the tribe of Issachar. And when we come to the tribe of Issachar, the Holy Spirit points out something different. It says the sons of Issachar were distinguished for one thing, not military might, not the battlefield. They were, quote, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 
men who understood the times. Now that's very unique because all of a sudden, nothing about military might, but, but there is something about what these men were able to do that the soldiers could not do. These men were unique. They were sort of elite in that they had an edge the other ones didn't have. They understood the times. That means they understood the prophetic hour. They understood what time it was for Israel in the eyes of God. They understood what God was doing. They understood what, what, what was up, what direction Israel was to go. And the Bible also points out that instead of thousands of the, of them, instead of there being thousands of the sons of Issachar, there was only 200. For the rest of the tribes, there were thousands of men represented each, but Issachar was only 200 men. But these 200 men, I submit to you, were more important than the mighty men of valor because they gave supernatural direction to the nation. They gave supernatural direction. They knew what time it was. They knew that it was time to install David, which changed the whole nation. They understood that the hour had come. You know, our God is a God of timing. Oh, he's a God of timing. The Bible says in the fullness of time, God sent his son. Another translation says at just the right time, God sent his son. Aren't you glad that God sent his son at the right time? You know, God's timing in my life has almost never been my timing. No, I've got my timing and then there's God's timing. And so many times I've wanted God's timing to be my timing. But how many of you are glad today that, that what you thought was time for something, God said no, and he had his timing. And you look back now and you say, thank God, he didn't do my timing, he did his timing. Because you see, you had to, you, you had to be spending time with God and you had to be, have your finger on the pulse of what he was doing to be able to say, it's time to install David over the whole nation. And when David was installed over the whole nation, that nation flourished and reached its apex under his leadership. I have a question today. Where are the sons of Issachar today? Where are the sons of Issachar today? Those who know what's going on, who know what God is doing. See, I don't want to walk around dazed and confused, perplexed, wringing my hands uh, like the rest of the world. No, no. I, I want to know what God is doing. I want to have an idea of what the signs of the times are. I, I want to have a, a, I want to have my finger on the pulse of what God is doing. I don't want to be caught by surprise. No, I want to be able to say, hey, uh, you may be shocked, but I'm not. Well, how come you're not shocked? Because my Lord told me ahead of time what was coming. So where are those who, who understand, prophetically speaking, what the weather forecast is for America and for the world? People who recognize the signs surrounding us. Uh, somebody who can make a prophetic weather forecast. Well, I, I'm going to answer that, that question. I'm going to answer it myself. Here's the answer. Anybody who spends quality time in the Word of God will know what time it is. Oh, yeah. Listen, 
The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable. All scripture from Genesis to Revelation, even the boring parts are given by inspiration of God. Even the endless genealogies are given by inspiration of God. That Bible, there's 39 Old Testament books. There's 27 New Testament books. And so when, you, when you're holding your Bible, you're holding a library of 66 books. You've got your own library carrying it around. And all of it was breathed out by God. So any believer, I'm going to say it again, that spends quality time studying God's word is going to understand the times. It's not some special elite group of people who have some special anointing from God. No, it's anybody who takes the time and trouble to spend time in God's word. That's right. How many of you want to know what God's doing? Amen. Come on, everybody. How many of you know we're living in a nation that is massively confused? But the church should not be because Jesus told us what's coming. The prophets told us what's coming. The prophets told us what should be happening and will be happening in the last days. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to look at three things from the Bible regarding the last days. And I'm going to give you a biblical forecast for what we can look for in America and the world prophetically. How many of you want to hear that? I'm going to give you a forecast. Now I'm going to tell you right up front, one of them's negative and two of them are positive. Somebody says to me, I got good news and bad news. Which do you want first? I say, well, I want the bad news first. Give me the good news last because the good news will make the bad news not so bad. So I'm going to give you the bad news first. And then I'm going to give you two things that are good news. Are you ready? What is the prophetic weather forecast for America and the world? First of all, we're in an hour of apostasy. The Bible predicts an hour of apostasy. Now, you're saying, well, what's apostasy? Let me clarify it for you. Apostasy is not backsliding. We hear about backsliding and we hear about apostasy. Uh, backsliding is when a true born-again believer gets caught up in some kind of sin and drifts away from God and goes into the world and gets entangled up in things of the world and the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that God will find you and God will chasten you and you will be miserable in your backsliding till you return home. Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son is the story of a backslider. Because remember, he returned to the father. He, he woke up in a pigsty and said, what in the world am I doing here? And what have I been thinking? And the Bible says he came to himself. That literally means he came from insanity to sanity. And he said, I will return to my father because I, I've been going crazy doing what I've been doing in the far country, living in sin, spending all the money. And, and so I'm going home. So he went home. That's a backslider. Backsliders return home. You a backslider today? Come home. Porch light's still on. Yeah. Porch light's still on. But an apostate is different. Apostasy is very different. Apostasy is from the Greek word apostasia. And what it means is to totally renounce Jesus. To totally um, say, I want nothing to do with Christ. Nothing to do with the gospel. Nothing to do with the Bible. Nothing to do with God. I want nothing to do with Christianity. I want nothing to do with any of this. I denounce it. I walk away. I'm finished. I am done. 
I don't want you. I don't want your salvation. I don't want the blood. I don't want any of that. I am apostatizing. The Bible predicts a stormy hour of apostasy in the last days before Jesus returns. Listen to what Paul said. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith. Do you see that? Abandon the faith. That's apostasy. The backslider doesn't abandon the faith. They get tangled up in sin. But the apostate abandons the faith. And they follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Are we there today? Are things being taught by demons to the church? Uh, Have things infiltrated the church that are truly dangerous? Yes, they have. The Bible says the day will come when some will abandon the faith and apostatize and walk away. That's that's uh, the weather forecast for the last days, one part of it. He also wrote to the Thessalonians, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. The it being the rise of Antichrist and the return of Jesus. It will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. Now notice, he's setting aside the apostasy of the last days. He puts in front of it a V. And, and that sets this apostasy apart and, and, and isolates it. And he's making a point. This isn't just any apostasy, but it's the apostasy. Well, what is the V pointing to? The apostasy that will occur before Christ returns. Some will depart from the faith. Listen to what Jesus said. In the last days prior to my return, quote, many will turn away from me. That's apostasy. They will turn away from me. And then when they do that, they will betray and hate each other. Notice how when you get away from him, you treat others bad. Amen? Many will depart from me, turn away from me. That's apostasy. And when they do, vertically turn from me, horizontally, they start treating others badly. He says, many false prophets will appear to deceive many people. How many people? Many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere before I return, and the love of many will grow cold. Uh, The love of many for God and the love of many for others will grow cold. Let me again draw a parallel. When your love for God draws cold, your love for others horizontally will draw cold. Get close to God, get close to love. God is love. And he that loveth is born of God and knows God. But but when you get away from God and you go into sin, sin always kills love. Sin kills love. So he says, they're going to depart from me. And when they do, they're going to start treating each other badly. And their love will grow cold vertically. And when it grows vertically towards God, cold, it'll grow cold horizontally towards others. And the Bible says, in the last days, men will be totally without natural affection. Why? Because what Jesus said, sin will be rampant everywhere. Are we there? Have you ever seen the kind of sin we're seeing now? Have you ever seen it? I never have. Jesus in the same chapter said, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So there again, even the elect, which is you, if you're saved, you're the elect, you, even you could be deceived if God did not keep you and you weren't in his word. That's why I tell you all the time, stay in the word of God and it will immunize you against, hey, you talk about a vaccination we all need. 
Let me tell you about the most important vaccination. Yeah. The most important vaccination is, is being immunized against deception. And the vaccination is every day, get a shot of the word of God. Get it flowing in your system. Get it flowing in your veins. The fulfillment of these predictions of apostasy have already begun to take place all around us. I'll give you a couple of quick examples. Even in this past year, we've seen a number of key Christian influencers and high-profile church leaders go public, renouncing their faith. And it, it sent shockwaves through the church. But it shouldn't. Because Jesus said, behold, I've told you ahead of time. One well-known writer of children's Christian musicals renounced the faith. A long-time and well-known Pentecostal minister renounced the faith. A professor of religious studies at Rice University came out of the closet and said, I am an atheist. A well-known Hillsong songwriter renounced the faith. A popular Christian author that many of you would know if I said the name came out of the closet also with their unbelief and said, I renounce the faith. I no longer believe. And, 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 and Christian periodicals everywhere were writing stories on this. Everybody was shocked and blown away. But we shouldn't be because our Lord Jesus said, I've told you ahead of time. You shouldn't be rattled. We need to say with David, none of these things move me. We should be praying, Lord, keep me. I'm staying in your word. I am with you. I'm going to grow in you. And then you take it to a larger scale. We must. Entire nations like America, Canada, and England have apostatized from the Judeo-Christian ethic. If you had gone into England in the 1800s when the great Charles Spurgeon preached, if you could have gone into England in the 1800s, there were so many renowned Christian pulpiteers who could preach the paint off the wall, who preached the word of God and the blood and Christ and heaven and hell and the gospel and the one wayness of Jesus. They would not believe England today because England has apostatized. America has. Canada has. They reject the truth of God's word now and they've given themselves over. Look at our own nation. We've, been, we've, we've given ourselves over to godlessness and truly shocking moral depravity, moral insanity. Jesus even predicted that much but not all, but much of the church would not be in a healthy place in the last days. Think of our nation. Look at the way that our nation has gone. Look at the direction our nation has gone. Just 50 years ago, the Judeo-Christian ethic was intact. Right was right and wrong was wrong, and there was no confusion about the two. But now we're being told that if you wake up and you identify as being something you're not, it is so. And if somebody disagrees with you, they are a bigot or a racist or some other terrible name. Our nation has truly, I didn't come to tickle the ears today. I got to tell you what's on my heart. Listen, our nation has truly gone certifiably 
crazy. We're now told that there's over a hundred genders to pick from. And I've seen the list and it is a study in madness because you see, whatever you wake up and decide you are, that's what you are. That used to be called mental illness. Now, please understand, I am not, if this is a struggle of yours, we all have our struggles. I've had incredible struggles uh, in my own life. I'm I'm not here to make fun of anybody, but I am here to tell you there's not a hundred genders. There's not. You're being deceived. This whole thing happening in America about the, the, the gender crisis and this whole thing that if you say I'm something, even though you weren't born that particular something. It's real. It's true. No, you're denying reality. There's two genders. He made them male and female. That's it. Male and female. And you can't change DNA. You can't change who you are on the inside. You can say all day long, you're something else, but you're not. Say, well, Jeff, I'm so confused. I, I don't know because the message out there is so confused. They're even telling little children now, Eight years old, nine years old, ten years old. What do you think you are, sweetie? They'll show them this list of of possibilities. What do you think you are? And whatever you think you are, then we're going to go along with that as the adults in your life. To me, that's child abuse. It's just child abuse. Since when does a when I was nine years old, I was playing with toy soldiers, not thinking about my gender. Come on. No, there's only two. God made them male and female. And my calling is to be true to the word. I've got to tell you what the word says. Listen, God's not the author of confusion. It is confusion. A hundred genders, please. You've got to be kidding me. No, there's not. He made them male and female and called the male and female to be joined together in holy matrimony. That's the way God did it. And that's simple and it's sane and it's peaceful and it's right. Say, well, then then how do I find the truth about me? Let me tell you where you find the truth about you. At the foot of the old wooden cross. That's where you'll find the truth about you. Now listen carefully to me. Because at the cross, your Savior, Savior died for you, bled for you. Jesus died for your sins. And listen, you will never know who you are until you go to the foot of the cross and let him change you, save you, forgive you, fill you with the Holy Spirit, get you into his plan. See, Jeff Wickwire was terribly confused. I didn't know who I was. I had no future, no plan. I didn't know where I was headed. But then I went to the foot of the cross. And when I met my Savior, he showed me. He called me to preach. He called me to bring forth kingdom fruit. He called me to follow him. That I am perfectly designed for what he's called me to do. And so are you. And I found my identity at the foot of that cross. think of the cross. He stretched out his arms and they nailed him to the tree horizontally. Then they nailed his feet to the tree vertically. Think about that. This way, he's saying, come to me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. You'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. So I see the cross going this way as the outstretched arms of God wanting to embrace you. But then the, ver- the, the, the cross goes this way too. It's vertical. Because once you let him embrace you, he takes you vertically up. He takes you vertically into the love of God, into the presence of God. And one day you will go to heaven because the cross that embraces you this way also takes you up this way. The church is even predicted by Jesus to not be so healthy in the last days. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right. Laodicea is a picture of the last day church. It's the last of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And many commentators believe it is last because it's the last church before Christ comes. And he says to the church of Laodicea, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're not cold, you're not hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are only lukewarm, not cold, not hot, I want to spit you out of my mouth. That's talking to a church. That's talking to a church. We believe the church of the last days. We have a, here a lukewarm, compromised, lackadaisical, do-nothing, watered-down shell of a church. Not the real thing. Jesus goes on to say that this last day's church is going to be enamored with money. Well, shazam. Are we there? You say, where is that, Jeff? Here it is. You say, said Jesus, I am rich. That's talking about money. I am rich. I have acquired wealth, says the Latter-day Church. And so therefore, I don't need a thing. So all their confidence and all their safety is put in the money they have. What's in the bank? But Jesus said, you don't realize you are wretched, poor, miserable, blind, and naked. Because any time you give up true spiritual riches for worldly riches, you have just cheated yourself. You cheated yourself. And then, amazing, the church of the last days has Jesus on the outside looking in, wanting in. Because talking to the Laodicean church, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, we use that a lot to call people to Christ, and that's okay. But the context is that Jesus is knocking on the door of the last day church, wanting entrance into it. Wanting them to let him in. Can you imagine Jesus in our parking lot trying to get in, but he's in the parking lot. We won't let him in. Don't come in, Jesus. We don't want you. We want to have church, but not you. Something's drastically wrong with this picture. That's the last day church. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They don't want the power of God. They don't want the real thing. No, Jesus is on the outside looking in. So the prophetic weather forecast for the last days is cloudy and dark with apostasy. But there's a flip side, and it's beautiful. How many of you are ready for the flip side? Yeah, amen. Are you ready? It's an hour of harvest. The flip side is the last days, while it's so dark out there spiritually, the weather is stormy and dark. Uh, For the church, the real church, 
the blood-bought church, spirit-filled church, the church that picks up its cross daily and follows him, the real thing, the real McCoy for the real thing, the real church, it is an hour of great, massive harvest. Jesus said in John's gospel, do you think the work of harvesting will not begin until the summer ends four months from now? Look around you. Vast fields of human souls are ripening all around us and are ready now. Everybody say now. Ready now for reaping. Now, in Jesus' day, it was agrarian. They were all farmers. They all understood this picture because when a wheat field was ready for harvesting, it turned white on the top. And that white wheat would flow and blow in the wind. And they knew when they saw that whiteness, it was time to reap the harvest. Jesus is saying, farmers know when to reap a field And my church needs to know when to reap the spiritual field. They need to know what time it is. They need to know what hour it is. They need to know what the weather forecast is. And what I want to tell you today is the weather forecast for our day right now, even though it's dark out there, is to reap a massive harvest of souls because the field is white for harvest. Jesus said, look around you. Look around you. Now, generally, we're all focused on what we're going through in our own lives. What do I need? Bills to pay, kids to raise, uh, marriage to work through, uh, all these things that are always on my mind. But Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look beyond your own problems and look out on the field. It is white for harvest. Now, there's a context to it. The context is Jesus has spoken earlier in the chapter to the woman at the well. He has met her. He has broken a racial barrier to go and win her. Because she is a Samaritan and a Gentile, and he being a Jewish rabbi was not supposed to have a thing to do with her, but Jesus did not care about racial barriers. Jesus routinely broke racial barriers to reach the harvest. I should have had a better amen than that on that one. Because there's no such thing as a racist church. That's nuts. Listen, I don't care if you're black, white. I don't care if you're yellow, red. I don't care if you're olive-skinned or brown. It doesn't matter to God. You are a soul. And we all come from the same family, Adam and Eve. And Jesus stepped across a racial taboo to reach this woman. And she finally decided he was a prophet because he read her mail to her. She ran into the town and she got the men of the town and brought them all out. And the whole town is looking at Jesus now because of the evangelistic efforts of this woman. And that's when Jesus said, look around you. They were looking at a vast sea of Gentile faces from Samaria. And Jesus said, the field is white. Disciples of mine, you are going to break racial barriers You're going to go to the Gentiles. You're going to go to those that the Jewish people won't have anything to do with. You're going to go to them. Look at the field. It's white for harvesting. I believe the church of the last days, and I'm reading to you our mail. I'm heading to a close with this statement. This is where I want to be. I want to be this. I want to be involved in this. I want to be knee deep in this. 
chin deep in this, head deep. I want to be, I want to drown in this. I want to drown in winning souls. I want to go for souls. I want to be a church that, that, that does understand the times. That we do understand what Issachar, the tribe of Issachar understood. We understand the times and we understand that it's time to get out there and win souls for Christ here and there and everywhere. It's that time. And it may not crank you very much to hear that. But I want, listen, we need to be excited about souls being saved because they're everywhere. They're white for harvest. I had a young man come down on the altar after the first service, sharp looking young man, tears in his eyes. And he said, please pray for my dad. And I said, what's up with your dad? He said, he's a meth addict. He's hooked on meth. And I live with this. And I want him to be saved. And tears started running down his face. And, and I, I thought to myself, the harvest is white. He needs to be saved. See, nothing's going to break that off of him like Jesus can. N- nothing is going to do it like Jesus can. Can I be honest with you? I don't want to be a question mark. I want to be an exclamation point. I don't want to take a question into the world. I want to take an answer into the world. And the answer is Jesus Christ and him crucified. He breaks the chains. He snaps the fetters. He sets people free. And that's what we're called to do. Yes. Come on, church. I love what the woman did. She ran into town. Said, a man told me everything I've ever done. Come see him. Come see him. Not a preacher. Not the name on a building. I want the word to go out. Listen, Jesus is in that house. Jesus is in that house. Come see him. In Twin Falls, I was touched by something I've never experienced. Had people come up after the service, grabbing hold of me and crying on my shoulder and saying, I've never met you, but I feel like I know you from the radio. And the word has changed our life. And we came to Twin Falls from Reno. They drove seven to eight hours to hear the word of God. That's how hungry people are. Another couple came up, hugged us, said, we, we drove over 200 miles to hear the word of God. We just want to hear the word of God. We're starving. Did they want to see Jeff Wickwire? No, not really. They wanted, they wanted to see who I say I saw. They want to see Jesus. They want to see Jesus. They want to see Jesus. One last weather forecast thing. I want you to stand with me. Here's one last aspect of the Latter-day weather forecast. Are you ready? Jesus is about to come back. Do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? Here's what time it is. Here's the weather forecast. As it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What was it like in their day? They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, building and buying, doing business as usual. B-A-U. 
business as usual, was the tenor of the generation that saw the flood and saw the fire fall and consume Sodom. Jesus said, as it was in their day, so shall it be in yours. What does that mean? It means he's going to come totally when you don't think he is, when you don't expect it, when you don't expect it. That's the whole message of Noah and Lot. Because when the flood started, they were shocked, taken aback. When the fire fell on Sodom, they had no forewarning. And that's the way it's going to be when he comes back. That's the weather forecast. The weather forecast is dark and cloudy with apostasy on one hand. Bright and sunshiny with soul winning on the real church on the other hand. And when you least expect it. Yeah. He's going to come. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, whoop. I used to think we were going to float up and say hey to everybody. Hey, isn't this cool? But no, in a moment, Adamos, a moment of time you can't divide, we will suddenly be looking at him. And the world has no, no clue when that's going to happen. What time is it? It's time for us to walk with God. Win souls. Be about our Father's business. Because soon and very soon we're going to see the King. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want you to say with me, if you, if you can mean it, say, Lord Jesus, <clears throat> use my life. Keep me strong. Help me to witness to others, to not be ashamed of your name and help me to be ready when the trumpet blows I am yours Lord in Jesus mighty name thank you Lord in Jesus name